Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be standing before you on this morning. We're excited about the Lord and definitely excited about the Word of God that we're going to share with you today. But just before we get into the Word, I want to take a moment to first salute our churches in uh, Kenya. Uh, first off, we receive word that uh, the uncle of Pastor Bernard Majero has passed away, and they're in the process of... Um, mourning his loss. He was uh, greatly influential in the work of the Lord there, in the rearing of Pastor Majero, and we send our love and our condolences and our prayers to support the work there. Pastor Majero is pastor of Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, Kenya, so we thank the Lord for him and just know that we're praying for him and all the body that is there as they mourn this uh, loss. And we're asking that all of us, we get together and send support. And uh, for the other churches that are in Kenya, we ask that you reach out to Pastor Majero and support him even as he has supported uh, you in your time of grief. We also want to take a moment to acknowledge and um, send our love to Bishop Ogoa, um, another pastor there in Kenya. We thank the Lord for him and the work there that he is doing, the ministry, the body of Christ that is there. Uh, we salute you, we celebrate you, and all uh, those that are in the work of the Lord there in that great nation. Know that we here are praying for you, we stand with you and support you uh, in every way that we possibly can. And we thank the Lord for the relationships that are being developed by God's grace uh, through technical means uh, now, but we're looking forward to the day when we might be able to come and physically uh, worship the Lord and fellowship with you together. I want to just talk to you today uh, from continuing in, in line with what we've been talking about related to the power of God in us. So the, the foundation or the concept that we are standing upon is that God has poured himself into us. The fullness of the Godhead is poured into us. Uh, as the Bible declares, we are earthen vessels that house the excellency of the power of God. So God created us as containers of him. And I want to talk and point to you about some, talk to you about some things that connect directly to how God functions in us and how we are to function externally because of the inward functioning of God in us. So uh, it begs to ask the question then, what's my function? It's a question uh, that many have asked, wondering what it is that they are to do. And last week, when we were uh, sharing the word with you, I identified for you the inward or the hidden parts, the inward and the hidden parts as declared in God's word. But we have to uh, continue to examine the inward parts and the hidden part of our being if we're ever going to really truly understand better what the function of these things are. You see, scripture makes it a point for us to remember that there are these two expressions, the inward parts and the hidden parts. So let me just give you a quick recap of what I showed you in scripture last week. And for those that weren't able to watch last week's sermon, you'll have a concept of where we are. The inward parts of our being are the parts of the soul and the hidden part is our spirit. Now with both our soul and our spirit, there are three parts. 
while the heart is composed of the three parts of the soul, adding to it the first part of the spirit. And it's vital for us to spend some time to consider the scriptural uh, revelation of all of these parts as they work and function in us. We have to first see what the function of the heart is and how we should deal with it. Then we have to take a look at the spirit. And finally, if time allows today, we will talk about the soul. It's my prayer that as we examine this deeper, the Lord may further extend his grace so that we can see and understand all of these parts clearly so that we ultimately may be sufficiently impressed to learn and know all the parts of our being and that we may know how to exercise our spirit and our heart in order to experience the Lord as we express his visage for all those with whom our paths may cross. I want to take some time today to just talk to you about these functions uh, of the heart and the spirit and the soul. I'm really going to do my best to try not to preach. I just want to teach you something because I'm learning as I get older, preaching is good and has its place, but it is the teaching of scripture that is necessary to embolden the body of Christ. Now, according to the record of scripture, the heart has to be dealt with first, not the spirit or the soul. And the reason for this is that the heart is a composition of all the parts of the soul and the most important part of the spirit, which is our conscience. So our relationship with the Lord has to start with the conscience. If our conscience is wrong, we can be sure that we are wrong. We're wrong both with God and we're wrong with others. So since the conscience is the main part of the heart, the heart must be dealt with first so that we can ensure we enjoy a proper relationship with God or are in right alignment with the things that God is instructing us in his word. The first thing you need to understand about the heart is the heart is the loving organ in the body, which is another reason why the heart has to be dealt with first. 2 Corinthians 3 and 16 says, whenever their heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So our heart must be first turned to the Lord. And this is what real repentance is all about, a turning. When we were in our fallen state or our unrepentant state, our heart was in essence turned away from God and the things of God. But when we repented, our heart then turned toward the Lord. And this matter of turning the heart to the Lord is not done once and for all. And it's, it's something very important for us to understand. The heart must be turned to the Lord all the time, day by day, moment by moment, and second by second. As a matter of fact, every morning when uh, we arise, we have to turn our heart to God again. After waking up in the morning, we should actually go to the Lord and tell him, Lord, here I am. By your mercy and grace, I wish to turn my heart anew and afresh to you for this day the day that you have made 
in which I am commanded to rejoice. This should be our opening thought of the day as we arise in the morning, dedicating and pushing ourselves in the direction of Christ. You see, when our heart is turned to the Lord, the veil is gone. And I've heard people ask, why don't I have any guidance? Why don't I know what the Lord's will is for me? Well, the answer to their question really is resolved within uh, them. And in many cases, they could answer their own question if they took a look inside of themselves. You see, the issue is not so much knowing the will of the Lord. The problem is more centrally located on whether uh, their focus is on the Lord or not. Or another question should be posed. Where is their heart? And in what direction is their heart pointed? You see, our heart must be turned and tuned to the Lord. When I was much younger than I am now, I used to pray over 2 Corinthians 3 and 16 several times in a week. And I would ask the Lord, cause me to turn my heart to you. You see, I was so enthralled with so many things. It was easy for me to become distracted by the next shiny thing that came by my visage. But as I continued praying, things begin to change for me. Let me tell you, it works. You ought to just try it for yourself before you read the word in the morning. As I know all of you saints do religiously, you roll over out of the bed and crack open the Bible as their first act of the day. You should first ensure that your heart is turned and tuned toward the Lord. The veil will be gone and there will be light for your day. The veil which is between you and the Lord will be taken away by turning your heart to him. And you will see the fullness of his brilliant light shining in and through you as you start the day. You see, once our heart is turned to the Lord, it must ex exercise faith. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, believe where? In your heart. And with the heart, there is believing. To believe is not an exercise of your spirit. It is not an exercise of your mind. It's not an exercise of your will. But believing is truly, scripturally, an exercise of your heart. For with the heart, there is believing. We need to learn how to exercise our heart to believe in order that we might cooperate with the indwelling presence of God in us. You see, after our heart is turned and tuned to the Lord, we should immediately exercise faith in our heart. Whatever the Lord says in the word, we must exercise it in our heart so that we can believe it because you cannot apply what you do not believe. Whatever we sense deeply within, what we, we have to believe by exercising it in our heart. We must believe in the Lord in the midst of our very uh, chaotic environment. No matter what our environment might look like or what it is we may be dealing with. In all the situations within uh, our set of circumstances, we must always exercise our heart to believe the report of the Lord. The old saints would say, whose report will you believe? Will you believe the report of the doctor 
who has limited understanding or will you believe the report of the Lord? Will you believe the report of the lawyer who has limited understanding or will you believe the report of the righteous judge? We have to exercise faith and you exercise faith in the place where you believe and the place where you believe is in your heart. To exercise faith in the Lord will keep your heart from doubting because of the reality of your crisis. I'm not here to tell you that your crisis is not impactful in your thinking, but I am here to tell you that when you exercise faith in what God declares, no matter what the reality of your crisis is, you can stand triumphant in understanding and knowing God's word will prevail. We must even pray that the Lord will protect our heart from doubt. Thirdly, the heart must be sprinkled from an evil conscience. Hebrews 10 and 22 teaches us this. The heart itself is not to be sprinkled, but the evil conscience held within it. Our conscience always needs the sprinkling of the redeeming blood of the Lord Jesus. And the more we turn our heart to the Lord, and the more we believe in the things of the Lord by exercising our heart in faith, the more we will feel in our conscience that we are wrong in many matters. And when our heart is not turned to the Lord, we will never sense this level or this type of conscience within us that shows us the things in us that are just not right in the eyes of God. And this is when you start to believe that you are always right. And it's everyone else that has the issue, that we're not the ones making the mistake. It's everyone else that's making the mistake. When our heart is turned away from the Lord, we have only one sense, that we are right in everything that we do, say, feel, or think. And it's everyone else that is wrong. But we ourselves are always right. But when we turn our heart to the Lord, we can only see ourselves. We cannot see the actions of others. The more we believe in him, the more we will sense how wrong we are in so many ways and in so many things. We are wrong in the ways that we treat our wife. We are wrong in the ways that we treat our husband. We are wrong in the ways that we treat our children the way that we treat our parents, the way that we treat our friends. What are those accusations in our heart? They are the accusations of our conscience. It's at this time that we will spontaneously begin to confess everything according to the inner accusation of our own conscience. That very thing that we really fight against that we try not to listen to, to listen to too often and the more that we confess the more the blood of the Lord Jesus is being applied to our conscience and the more the blood is applied it will begin to purge and cleanse and you know cause us to be without offense or in essence cause our evil conscience to become a pure conscience to have a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience means that our conscience has been so purged that there is no more condemnation in our heart. A heart is at peace and full of joy in the Lord. You might be wondering to yourself, 
Well, how do I know when this practice is in action? Well, you'll know when your prayers are more about the injustice of you toward others than the injustice of others towards you. You see, your husband or your wife or whoever you may have treated, uh, or whoever may have treated you poorly or not as you feel you deserve, but what is your prayer? Is it condemnation against them for your perceived mistreatment? Or is it grace for them and clarity for your own involvement? Do you go to the Lord and ask the Lord, did you see what she or he did to me? How they treated me, how they spoke to me, how they denied me, how they withheld their love from me? Is, is this the direction that God would have us? If we look according to Ezekiel 36 and 26, the heart has to be renewed. In Ezekiel 36 and 25, the Lord said, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. But this is not all. To cleanse us from all filthiness, from all sins, and even from idols is only the negative side of things. And God does not just work on the negative things in us. We need something positive as, as well. This is why in the very next verse it says, I will also give you a new heart. Well, a new heart is the old heart renewed. Now, there are four steps in dealing with the heart. Let me be clear here. They do not take place once and for all when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your savior. You see, we who are seeking the Lord must have our heart refreshed by these very four steps each and every day that I'm going to open your mind and your thought to. We have to turn our heart to the Lord. We have to exercise our heart to believe in the things of, of the Lord. We have our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and then have it renewed again and again and again. You see, the renewing of the heart is not a one hit or quitter. And I believe that if the Apostle Paul were still living today, he would still need to have his heart renewed. You see, we must put all of these steps into practice in our life immediately and repeatedly. When we first get up in the morning, we must pray, Lord, cause me to turn my heart to you. Then we need to exercise our heart to believe the things of the Lord. Lord, I believe you. I believe what your word declares. I believe in your dealing within me and in all your dealings in my environment. And at this point, we will begin to sense our wrong and the things within us that need to be dealt with how many mistakes we have made and how much filthiness we may have. Therefore, we must confess in order to be cleansed and sprinkled from this evil conscience. Then our heart will be renewed. It will be fresh and new for the new day, acknowledging the Lord in all the things that we do. These four steps will cause the heart to function 
adequately. You see, the function of the heart is to love the Lord. It is the loving organ of our very being. Now, if you don't uh, believe me, let me point you to the word of God because it's proven by uh, the scripture found in Mark, the 12th chapter in the 30th verse. It says, you shall love the Lord your God from your whole heart or with a whole heart. You see, the heart was created for the purpose of loving the Lord. And if we do not have a heart, we cannot love. You cannot see if you do not have eyes. You cannot hear if you do not have ears. You cannot think unless you have a mind. Neither can you love unless you have an organ created for that purpose, which is your heart. Many Christians do not know what the function of the heart is. They know the function of the eyes. They understand the function of the ears. They know the function of the mind and the mouth, but they simply do not know the function of the heart. You see, love is a matter of the heart. People cannot be loved with our nose. They cannot be loved with our hands. The heart is the only organ that has the ability to express love. No one can say that he does not love anything because everyone loves something, whether it be the Lord or something else. And the more we turn our heart to the Lord, the more we will exercise our heart to believe in the things of the Lord. And the more our heart will be sprinkled from an evil conscience and become renewed. You see, it's then that we will have a greater capacity to love the Lord. This is the function of a renewed heart. Every morning, we must renew our heart, even as the mercies of the Lord are renewed each and every morning. We must have a renewed heart so that we may love the Lord more and more. All spiritual experiences start with love in your heart. If you do not love the Lord, it's impossible for you to receive any kind of spiritual ex experience. In fact, the first experience of the Christian life is brought to us through salvation. And it involves the heart loving the Lord Jesus. Not one person who really repents is without love in his heart toward the Lord. Perhaps they don't understand or have the language to express that love, but they have the capacity and the sweetness, the sweet sense of this love that is uh, birthing within them. They may not have the knowledge to explain it, but their initial experience of salvation is a reaction or a reflection of love in their heart toward the Lord. And we all must learn how to continually turn and exercise our heart in order to have our heart purged from an evil conscience and renewed day by day so that we may love the Lord more and more. You see, it was the loss of its first fresh love to the Lord that was the cause of the fall of the church itself. And it's the cause of the degradation that we find in the church today. When our heart is not fresh in loving the Lord, we are in a fallen state. 
We must turn our heart back to the Lord again and again and have it continually renewed just so that we may have a new and fresh love toward the Lord each and every day. In a natural sense, I don't love my wife today the way I loved her yesterday. My love for her today is new and it is fresh. My love for her today will take me to higher heights and deeper depths in our relationship together. This is the expression that God would have for us. You see, the spirit is also the receiving organ. And I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the spirit because many of us have misunderstood the spirit. And because we, we lack proper understanding, we miss out on things that God intends for us to have. So one thing you've got to understand is that if you are going to receive anything from God, you have to understand what the receiving organ is so that you can receive what God is trying to give you. So now that I've detailed the function of the heart, we need to consider the function of the spirit. First of all, the Bible tells us that what? We're originally dead. But when we receive the Lord Jesus... We were made alive. But what does this mean that we were dead? When I was much younger, I couldn't understand this concept. I thought to myself, I, I feel pretty much alive. I'm breathing, I'm talking, I'm walking, I'm interacting with people, I'm consuming food, I'm doing all the things that uh, typify life. How can they say that I'm dead when I'm still alive? Now, later on, of course, I learned that I was dead in my spirit. It was my spirit that was dead and out of function. You see, the function of the spirit is to contact God or to fellowship with God. And in fellowship with God, we receive the things of God and we offer worship to God. But due to the fall of our human condition, the spirit became dormant and could not function as it was created to function. And when we received the Lord Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit, we must remind ourselves that when the title Holy Spirit is used, it really means the all-inclusive spirit or the entirety of the Godhead formed bodily in us, this spirit comes into our spirit and touches our spirit. And by this touch, our spirit was quickened. And the expression made, uh, quickened means made alive. It means something like just by touching, life is ministered and imparted. Now, perhaps this could be illustrated uh, through the uh, visual uh, uh, picture of, uh, of electricity. When you touch electricity, something of electricity is transmitted into you. By a simple little touch, electricity is transmitted. And you know that it is translated into you because you feel it. If you don't believe me, stick your finger in a socket. No, I don't do that because then you'll blame me. But I'm here to tell you that if you touch electricity, you will feel it. Similarly, the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit and touches our spirit. And by that touch, the very life, which is the Lord himself, 
is imparted into us. So our dead and dormant spirit immediately gains life and becomes alive. And this is uh, something more than just a miracle. Many times we have thought that it would be wonderful and miraculous if a dead person were resurrected right before us. If we could have been there to see Lazarus walking out of the tomb. Oh, what a miracle. But what we have actually missed all this time is that when the Holy Spirit quickens our dead spirit, it's even more miraculous than if a dead person came up out of the grave. History records that thousands and even millions of people have been rapidly changed because their dead spirit became alive. Each and every day, it is my earnest prayer that I would see those dead in spirit come alive in Christ. In just one second, a person dead in the spirit can be made alive by the touch of God. The Holy Spirit is much more powerful than electricity and much faster than even its transmission. And it is his desire to translate himself, the entirety of who he is, into us. Colossians 2 and 13 and Ephesians 2 and 1 and 5 say that the Spirit was dead and then made alive. So we were dead in sin and in our trespass and then we had a touch from God and he made us alive through the power of Jesus Christ. We were dead in our trespasses. That means that in our trespass, in our weakest state, in our dead state, in our state when we weren't, we didn't have it all together, Jesus sent his spirit and it touched us. The old saints used to sing a song, he touched me. And oh, what joy filled my soul because something, something happened. Oh God, I wish I could sing. You see, these two passages prove that we were originally dead in the spirit. But when we received the Lord Jesus as our savior, that dead thing in us was quickened and it was made alive. And when our spirit was made alive, it was also regenerated. Now the prefix re in regeneration means again. This means that our spirit was not only made alive, but also that another life was added into our spirit. This other life is the divine and uncreated life of God himself. It is Jesus himself living on the inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit based upon the redeeming work of Christ comes into us, he not only enlivens our dead spirit, but he also brought Christ into our spirit. This new life added into our spirit is something more than what God gave us in Adam in creation when he formed Adam from the elements of the earth. God wants us to understand that he has poured something unique and special in us. Not only has our dead spirit been recovered or regenerated and made able to live again, but a new substance has been added into our spirit. And this additional new substance or essence is Jesus himself. This is what is the new birth. This is the regeneration. John 3 and 6 says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
So by the new birth or the regeneration, something other than what we originally had has been added to us. We must say this again and again. Something has been added to me. As a matter of fact, as I'm thinking about it, you ought to put that in the comment section. Something has been added to me. You ought to tweet that. You ought to Instagram it. You ought to YouTube it. You ought to make a TikTok about it. Something has been added to me. Not only has the old and the dead been renewed and made alive, but Jesus himself has been added into me as the very essence of divine life. You see, this is regeneration and the new life. And by all this, we know we have a new spirit, which is what's talked about in Ezekiel 36 and 26. You see, believers need to know this. Christ uh, is a living reality. As I'm thinking about this, my mind is pointed to atomic power. Atomic power is not only something that is outward, but it is something that is inward. If you look at science, they always talk about the atomic number in things. Even within a mere piece of paper, there is atomic power. But when we receive Jesus, something more powerful than even the atom, something more powerful than atomic power was added into our spirit. And if you believe this, you should have jumped up and declared, hallelujah. hallelujah. You have to thank and praise God that such a wonderful, all-inclusive, exhaustless, immeasurable Christ has been actually added into us. We have been made better than we ever were before. Yes. We simply do not have adequate words to describe the presence of who it is that has come to live in us. Only eternity will be able to tell the story eons from now when I'm standing in heaven with God I'll still not be able to express my gratitude for the indwelling presence and power of my savior in us but praise him yet and still because this is not all our spirit is also indwelt by the all inclusive Holy Spirit so when, we, when we're saved God not only renews our heart and our spirit but he also puts his own spirit spirit into us this wonderful spirit dwells in our human spirit Romans 8 and 11 and uh, 8 and 16 our spirit is the very residence of the Holy Spirit consider if you will for a moment how wonderful this spirit is from the time of our salvation our dead spirit has become a spirit that is made alive regenerated with Jesus as a divine life the word declares that he is life that very life is now indwelt by the all inclusive Holy Spirit that we now have a spirit that is touched by him but even this is not all our spirit is joined to the Lord and the Bible declares that there are not two spirits, but now our spirit has become one. 
our spirit and the Lord himself as the spirit are joined together as one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 and 17. No human words can exhaust this mystery. What is the purpose and the function of the spirit? It is to contact the Lord. It is to receive the things that the, the Lord wants to impart in us. And it is the ability to worship God. It's the ability to fellowship with the divine persons of the triunity of the Godhead. The heart is the loving organ, but the spirit is the contacting and receiving organ. We cannot love with our spirit. We can only love with our heart, but the one whom our heart loves must be contacted and received by our spirit. I know that there are people who may have trouble with the things that I'm teaching, with the things that I'm even saying right now because they've been misguided in their thinking, believing that the spirit and the heart are synonymous terms. I would tell people, I give you this example. If I were to have a nice Bible in my hand, I may ask you, do you love it? And of course, they would say, yes, I love it. Then I'd say, take it, as if I'm giving it to them. And when they would stretch out their hand, I'd say, don't, don't, don't exercise your hand to take it. Your hand does not love it. It's your heart that loves it. So take it with your heart. And as long as your heart loves the Bible, then that's all you need then, right? There's no need to exercise your hand to take it. Well, I think that you're starting to get a clearer picture of the point that I'm trying to make. We cannot say that as long as the heart loves the Lord, it's all that we need or the heart is good enough. The spirit is necessary to take Christ. You love Christ, but you cannot receive him without the spirit. Suppose I love my breakfast. And as long as my heart loves bacon and, and, and toast and, and juice and uh, over easy eggs and, and, and hominy grits and, and all these wonderful things, I still find that my love for it is not enough. It's not enough because I cannot enjoy it. I'm afraid that after some days I will be buried if all I do is just love it. To love is a matter of the heart, but in order to receive something, another organ must be exercised. The organ that we need to exercise depends on what it is you're going to receive. If you're going to receive food, of course you need to exercise your mouth. And if we're going to receive a voice, we need to exercise our ears if we're going to receive a, a, a beautiful colorful scenery you must exercise your uh, eyes but now since we love the Lord we must exercise in order to receive him should we use the eyes the more we look for the Lord the more he will disappear because it's not with the eyes that God intended for you to receive him. God purposely created only one organ within man that can receive him or contact him. And that is the spirit. You see, the spirit within us has the same function spiritually as the stomach has physically. It was specifically created for the purpose of receiving God into us. 
But before we can receive something, we must have a love for the very thing we're trying to receive. Because no one receives anything that they do not love first. If we do not love our breakfast, it's hard for us to receive our breakfast. You may try it, you may dabble with it, but your plate will stay full and ultimately you will push it away. This is why you must first have an appetite for the Lord. When we love the Lord, we will then take him, contact him, commune with him, fellowship with him. You see, the heart is for us to love, but the spirit is for us to receive. It's by the renewing of the heart that we have a new interest and a new desire to love the Lord our God. By the renewing of the spirit, we have a new ability and a much greater capacity to receive the Lord Jesus. You see, after our spirit has been made alive and Christ has uh, life, uh, as life has been added to our very life, after it has been indwelt by the presence of the Holy Ghost and joined together uh, with it becoming one spirit, it's then that we become a very keen organ to receive and contact the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to, I just want to touch upon this. I, the hour is getting late, but I, I've got to, I feel urgency of God to express this uh, idea of the soul because the soul is the reflecting organ. And I don't want to leave you today without teaching you about your soul. We have to deal with the soul. The very first thing that we must learn in dealing with the soul is that you need to deny it. What is the first thing again? Yes, I said, deny it. If you don't believe me, the word of God tells us in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, and Luke 9, 23 through 22, clearly that we need to deny our soul, which is self. If you don't remember, I showed you last week that the soul, which is our very self, is composed of three parts the mind, the will, and emotion. We must learn to deny our natural mind. We must learn to deny our natural will. We must learn to deny our natural emotion. Secondly, the soul must be purified. 1 Peter 1 and 22 teaches us this, which is accomplished mainly by receiving the word of God. But you can't receive the word of God if you haven't dealt with the spirit. You see, the word of God can purify the soul from so many fleshly, worldly, and natural things. Our soul is our self, our very being, which has been extensively damaged and occupied by fleshly, worldly, and natural things. Therefore, we must first deny our soul. Then, the more we deny our soul, the more it will become purified by the indwelling presence of God and the manifestation of the word of God in our life thirdly our soul must be transformed 2nd Corinthians 3 and 18 and Romans 12 and 2 let me talk about these real quick 2nd Corinthians 3 and 18 says that we must be transformed but it does not indicate in what part we are to be transformed however when we look at Romans 12 and 2 
here we find that we are transformed by the renewing of the mind. Well, what did I tell you? Where is the mind? Transformation is to be accomplished in our soul if transformation has to be a part of the mind because the mind is the leading part of the soul. So after our spirit has been regenerated, our soul needs to be transformed. The soul has to be denied, then purified, then transformed into the image of Christ. But for what purpose must we endure these things? Well, I've pointed out that the purpose of the heart is to love the Lord. And the purpose of the spirit is to receive, to contact, to fellowship with the Lord. But what is the purpose of the soul then? Well, saints, I'm here to tell you. The purpose of the soul is to reflect the Lord Jesus. In most versions of the word, reflecting is not translated uh, as in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 uh, and 18, but the meaning is in the original language. Reflecting is the function of a mirror. The Bible declares unveiled face. An unveiled face beholds and reflects. The soul, by being purified and transformed, becomes the very organ like a mirror to reflect and express outwardly the Christ that is alive inwardly. So we love him with our heart. We receive him and contact him and fellowship him with our spirit and we reflect him and express him with our transformed soul. We must put all of these things into practice in our daily life. Then our lives will verify what has been explained practically and in reality these things will work for you when your heart is right when your spirit is right, your soul can be right. And when your soul is right, you will know it because you will reflect more of who Christ is than who you are. I am dead and it is Christ that is alive in me. The life I now live, I live by the power and the presence of God. It is the expression of who I am. It is what controls my thinking. It is what controls my function. It is what controls my mentality. It is what controls my emotions. God gave me emotion to enjoy life, to interact with life, to express who he is to life, not to control me. I thank God for the functions of my body because when my body is in order, God can be revealed in and through me. I become a conduit of who God is in the world. Everywhere I go, I am an a expression of Jesus Christ. I am a witness of the glory and the love of the Lord. I am what God wants me to be so that others can see his love for them. My life is a testimony and we know we overcome by the word of our testimony. And my testimony is always God. But this has to be renewed in me each and every day. The flesh has to be crucified 
my soul, myself has to be denied so Jesus can be alive in me. It is my earnest desire that you take from what you've heard today that you meditate on it, that you digest it, that you let it minister to you so that as you align yourself according to this teaching, you will realize more of God outwardly and less of yourself and become the very person God intended for you to become so that he can share who he is through you with the world. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and the Spirit of God grant to you great peace in everywhere you rest your foot. May the prosperity of the Lord be upon you. May he prosper the work of your hands and bring glory in and through your life. Know that I love you. I'm praying for you. And I believe in the God that it desires to be in you. Allow him to come inside and manifest who he is in and through you. Make it an awesome Sunday and a phenomenal week to come because I know who I am. I am what God has made me. God bless you.